こんにちは。日本クリケットポッドカストようこそ。僕の名前はアランです。I think that even those who have never heard a word of Japanese before can understand that. But just in case, hello and welcome to the Japan Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Kerr, and on this show, I will speak to the people who have played a role in the shaping of cricket in Japan, both on and off the field. Coming up next is part two of the Jared Shearer interview, where we discuss all things Japan national team and a few things about Japan as well. Enjoy. All right. Well, you mentioned the national team. So you are Japan cricket men's team cap number 65. Oh, is that right? Okay. <laughs> That's right. And you made your debut in 2011 in Papua New Guinea. Yep. Can you tell us a bit about your, your memories of that? Oh, yeah. So that was a, a T20 tournament. Yeah, yeah, please for Fiji, Papua New Guinea, all that small, what a thing. Vanuatu. Vanuatu, yeah. Um, and at the time, Fiji was quite strong. Obviously, Fiji was very strong. Um, in the Vanuatu and Tonga Samoa, those teams were sort of fighting for the Japan. Often, often beat them at that, at that point. But I think at that stage, when I was playing, they'd sort of edged ahead of us. But it was a good tournament, you know, um, on turf pitches. Facilities were really good. Pretty high standard, obviously. Your PNG, obviously, were the standouts. They then thrashed everybody. And BG were up to then. They had a bloke called Neil Maxwell played for them, who was an ex-Australian, Australia B, Australia A player. Uh, he played New South Wales cricket, a lot of New South Wales cricket, very good cricketer. But he was born in Fiji. So he played for Fiji after he retired from professional cricket. He played for them. So he sort of helped them up a little bit. So once he retired, they, their level dropped quite a bit. So, you know, we competed, I think, against Fiji. I think they us. But that was a fun tournament. The only problem was we were hotel ground, ground hotel because of the security situation in PNG. It was deemed by the ICC that PNG was a bit too dangerous for anyone to be going out the street at night or during the day. So, yeah, we was about four bucks. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I had a look at the, um, the scorecards from that tournament. Mm. Yeah, a few games played Fiji, Vanuatu, PNG, Samoa in 40-20 games and then played yep. a couple of 50-over games against Fiji and Vanuatu again and zero wins in that tournament. But I did notice that you guys came up against a pretty strong Papua New Guinea side where Asad Vala, who was later nominated as Associate Cricketer of the Decade, right. um, has, has hit 116 or 59 balls against us. As PNG yep. made 225 for three uh, and Japan battled to 79 for eight. Jared Shearer, seven off 16. <laughs> <laughs> that game. However, better fortunes were to follow in 2012. Uh, it was World Cricket League Division eight in Samoa. Yep. Do you remember much about that tournament? Yeah, so that was on synthetic wicket. And good out, that was a really good side. And um, your Samoa sides. Yeah, as well. Won't too bad. Yeah, we competed a lot. 50 over stuff that, that tournament. Yeah, we competed a lot better at the tournament. Up and, and it was a, you know, a good tournament in the sense that um, there was no, um, we could travel around, you know, on days off, we could travel around the country and obviously Samoa, Samoa Island. It doesn't matter. You see the plates, meet people. And that was really great. Really Samoa is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. Lovely people. I heard all the teams played against were great. All the ICC people involved. Um, I think Tora Ripley was the ex Australian manager. His name eludes me, but um, obviously he was the big man on campus of that Tora I'm um, was really good. No, it's just really, really nice tournament. But yeah, on the field, we competed really well. If I'm not mistaken, in the semi final, we played 
good team out of the Caribbean. So I've had a look and you started off against Suriname. 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 The first game. Yes. With a certain Jared Shearer making 59. Correct. First half century for Japan. Correct. Um, as we won that game by 142 runs. Yep. Looks like you also took the winning catch in that game, Jared. So, so you're sparking big celebrations. I'm sure it was a diving catch. No. The boundary. No. The length. No, no, it was a point. He's gone for a drive and, and got a massive top edge. Yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't that big. Just for me, but we did point. That was it. Fair, fairly regulation catch. You know, would have would have reached where I put that one down. <laughs> so then, um, the, the following games, we we beat uh, Bhutan, beat Belgium, yep, and then lost to Ghana, which meant we ended up in a third place playoff against Belgium. Belgium, right? Now, that game is notable because I I think I haven't done all. I haven't been through all the records, but I think that game saw the First, and as of now, I believe only century by a Japanese player. Oh, Alex, pa Alex Patmore made 100 in that game. Um, do you remember much about that? Yeah, I remember getting 100. Yeah, it was a really good one. Yeah, so Japan won that game and, and finished in third for that tournament. I mean, you know, playing for Japan, did you, is that something that you never expected when you came over here that you played cricket for Japan? No, no, no I never really had ambitions to do it. I mean, I was involved with the national team either managing or coaching or, you know, that sort of capacity. First time I was 2004 tournament. Um, I was a manager to well, let the aides onto Tonga, I think, when they came over. Uh, and I just got to know, like Neil Laxwell, I got to know and um, one of the umpires. And so anyway, that's how I sort of initially got involved with the national team. And then I knew Rob, Rob McKenna and Mark McTamney were the, were the coaches back then. And I knew them quite well. Play, I think played against Vodafone, in fact. They played for different teams, played against them. Uh, and in fact, we were still really good mates with them. So that, they were the coaches and, and that, that, that was all good. And then they gave it away to focus on other things. And then uh, Richard Laidley came along and he started the coach. And again, I knew Richard really well, or I got to know Richard really well. So I don't remember if I asked him to be a sister or if he asked me to be a sister. But anyway, I started coaching with him. I started helping him out. And then went on a couple of tours as manager, Botswana and Jersey. Then sort of got out a little bit managing because managing really hard. <laughs> There's a lot of off-field work involved, a lot of paperwork. I have been on a few tours as manager. I've been to an under-19 World Cup as manager. I can tell you there's a lot of paperwork involved. Yeah, so there's a lot involved in getting the team there. They, you name it, I spent a lot of time dealing with the ICC guys and, um, you know, making phone calls, emails, you know, a lot of work. And basically, I, I was never employed. I was never on payroll for JCA. But we're right and right and wrong. I mean, I don't remember. Time, how I feel about it. Basically, just came me to do a lot of work. I know Alex Miyagi, you know, it's here, JCA. Obviously, he did, did a lot of work at a different level with the ICC, but in terms of the getting red cell rare, fell to me. A lot of paperwork and, you know, a lot of the other things, profiles fell to me. Uh, and obviously, being bilingual, you know, and there's not a lot of bilingual. Both in the team and outside the team, there weren't a lot of bilingual people floating around other than Alex Miyagi. So, a lot of the Heavy lifting with the languages based on me because no one else could do it. You know, whether whether I should be doing it or not, besides like what no one else could do it. So, so I just took it on. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not the type of person then watch and say, well, this is shit. I'm not gonna I'm just gonna look and criticize and well, this is shit. This can be done better. I can do it better. I'm gonna do it. So I just you know went ahead and did it. Then then I was always married you know, there's team sheets and there's liaison liaising with uh, you know the totem referee. 
bit of umpire stuff. You talk to the umpires and look at, it's not everybody basically talk to the other teams. Um, make, you know, make sure the team's where they got to be because the coach wants to coach the team wants to play and everything else, you know, being at four functions and being on time and making sure everyone, you know, laundry. I did laundry for the guys, you know, hand out their laundry, all this stuff. Basically everything that's not playing and coaching, it comes down to managing. And so I got burned out and doing that because yeah, a lot of hard work. So then Richard left the JCA and because I was quite a assistant, um, Miyagi asked me to, um, take on the role of interim coach. And so I did, so I was coaching for a while and then I said to Miyagi, he said, look, we've got a tournament coming up in, well, probably a year out. And I was quite an interim and I said to him one night in Sunhall during a camp at the bar that the players used to frequent. Of course, Miyagi back then was playing and I said to Miyagi, I said, look, I'm your guy. I'll take it. I know I'm quite an interim, but no, look, I'll take him. That's fine. Let, let's do it. You know, let's, let's formalize this thing and I'll take the rings. Okay. So I was supposed to take him to Samoa, but then he decided, and I was totally happy with no, no problems for me at all. Uh, and he invited the coach out of New Zealand and he came over, he started coaching and I reverted back to my corporate assistant coaching role for a while there we sort of acquired the dual coaches and until we got up to speed and then I pulled back to my assistant coaching role and I wasn't going to go to Samoa because I didn't want to go and be manager. I didn't want to go. I'm like, no, that's fine. You guys go have a great time. Not too ready for it. And, uh, then Chris asked me, uh, I don't know, six months out, he said, oh, do you want to play? No, sorry, I wasn't some old PG. And, uh, he said, you want to play? And I'm like, oh shit, I haven't been, no, has never crossed my mind. I said, look, cause at the time, I, when, I think the hours different with time, you're allowed three non-Japanese passport holding players. Why I see some rules, not Japanese rules. And, uh, he said, you want to play? And I thought, oh, why not? So then, yeah, I had to get serious with my fitness. You know, because that wasn't fit enough. Yeah. I just wanted, and, and the other thing was too, it wasn't so much fitness. You must have been late thirties by then. Yeah. 37, 38. I was always still playing, still scoring runs. I'd like to think, um, I was still with keeping back then. So I gave, I gave words God straight away. So, nah, if I'm going to play, I'm going to have to feel because the Japan kids a lot better than me. So I'm not keeping. So I'm going to have to get back into the field. So I gave away God straight away, um, and just got into the field. And even the fitness thing wasn't so much. Achieve a higher level. I was just because these young guys are half, most of them were half my age, twice as fit as me. And I'm like, well, they're going to be wanting to run in threes and fours. <laughs> I can't do it. Mm. And I don't want to let them down. So I'm like, right, in the gym, started writing work, getting my base, base fitness up, running five, well, 10 kilometers at a time. So I was running 50, 60 kilometers a week, you know, and running 50, 60, 100 kilometers a week outside of cricket. You know, that was just my own fitness. I lost 15 Ks, but they want to. Let these guys down. Jeez, that's a lot. Yeah, went over and um, and again, I thought, well, I've always been one of these people. If I'm going to do it. I'm committed. If I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. So then, yeah, so I said, got asked to play. Yeah, went over and, and then, of course, I think six or eight months later was smaller. And then after that was a tournament in Australia. So I was locked into these three tournaments. You know, third tournament, uh, for reasons I don't remember, I think foreigners, the non passport holders, no. So, it was, uh, and at the time, pretty controversial because I remember clearly it was November or December and we were training hard. Um, a lot of, you got to, almost every weekend we're up in Sunderland with parents. We weren't playing our own games. We're up in Sunderland getting carried, the national team, which is a coming mill all weekend out in your time and running in the hotel feeds and gas feed and all these sorts of things. And obviously I was married and um, she became a cricket widow. There's a, there's me up full weekend, you know, leaving. Six o'clock Saturday and coming back at nine o'clock 
Sunday night sort of thing. And then obviously getting up Monday morning to go to work. So we were spending a little time together. And of course, you know, Japanese work culture is you go to work and you get up at seven, go to work and come home at nine o'clock at night. So we weren't seeing much of each other at all. So it's a massive commitment. So there's me committing to this, doing Samara in September, or we did Samara, and then going back to this tour in Australia. And then come December, when the tournament was either January or February, getting the word that oh, all non-Japanese passport orders aren't going. The JCA has decided they're not going, they're taking them. And it's something to do with funding or something, I'm all, I don't quite remember. Um, but yeah, it was very controversial. I mean, friends from there, I'm like, oh, well, you do what I did. And I've had like two tournaments and again, a lot of work, a lot of commitment, very strict on the diet, not drinking much, not going out much this sort of thing. And again, late at late thirties and I enjoy doing that, you know, like a beer. <laughs> so I'm, you know, forsaking all of this, play cricket. And, uh, so when it came through, I was almost in a way to leave, but, um, some of the other guys, I won't even name some of the other guys were very upset. That was all before my time, but there was something I heard about when I arrived and I wasn't involved in high performance for the JCA until the, I started the 2016 season, um, started getting involved in that stuff. My, my first two years was the cricket blast program, which is where I, I met you first. Yep. And I remember that even in my first couple of years involved in the high performance stuff, the ICC changed the eligibility criteria and the impact it has on funding or just who you can select for what tournaments. And it changed four times in five years. Yeah, yeah. Um, since 2017, it's been pretty consistent. Okay. But it was it was a nightmare for administrators. I know I don't know anything about how those decisions were made, but I can totally understand the human reaction and a lot of these yeah. decisions that get made in boardrooms or wherever else don't take that stuff into account. Um, and we're dealing with that right now with with an ICC decision that is having a very real impact on us news of that will come out very soon and it's been yeah it, it's tough to, to take when it has a direct impact on people who've worked really hard how do you how do you explain that um yeah and that's the reality of it unfortunately i wasn't privy to any of those decisions but i do believe what i do it came down to funding there's something about jca was going to get more money if they sent all passport holders uh, already passed all was from the, from the ICC. So we getting more money from the ICC for this thing, all Japanese national slash passport. Because obviously Alex Patmore is a passport holder. So he could go. And I think he went memory service. Uh, and he was, he was upset as well because, you know, him and I mates and, um, he enjoyed playing cricket and me. Not many people do, but he did for some reason. And <laughs> so he was like, well, you've got it. And let's face it. So, Japanese boys were probably a little bit, and, and fair enough, they're probably a little bit more serious than we were. Not that we didn't treat cricket very seriously. I mean, as I said, my, you know, my um, fitness regime was pretty hardcore, so I was taking it very seriously. But nonetheless, again, my cricketing culture, Alex Patmore's cricketing culture is you play and then, you know, you enjoy your cricket. So going on these tours, you, you know, Samoa, for example, great example, on your days off, you go together, you jump in a car, we had swimming, snorkeling, you know, do all these different activities. We had a great time off. We didn't just sit in our hotel rooms because for us, half the fun of the tournament is being in that place. Let's smile. You beauty. When am I ever going to be in smile? So then he's like, well, I really enjoy spending time with you. Um, you know, so how am I going to enjoy the tournament? You guys, the guys are, I like my friends. Um, 
you know, because again, the Japanese guys would seriously spend a lot more time in their hotel rooms. I will probably enjoy it, you know. So it was really upsetting as well. But I think he, and he, he thought about going, but I'll, I might just not go. Because what's the point? I think in the end, he went. And then I'm glad he did because, you know, such a good cricketer. And, and these tournaments are to be cherished because you don't know how many times you get picked for any country, whether it be your, your origin or not. You know, I really cherish playing for the national team and, um, you know, even though I do it to the passport. Um, I would get Japanese citizenship if it wasn't for the fact you're not allowed to have dual citizenship. So I really, uh, I would really um, enjoy and cherish being picked as a Japanese player. And obviously in Japan, you know, being a foreign, oh, you're not Japanese. Not, you know, but I like to pretty serious, you know, my goals and, you know, the ideals I could live up to as a Japanese player. I took that really seriously. And again, for uh, younger players, you know, they look up to us. Or it's not just me, obviously, probably more so the Japanese players. They look up to all of us. You know, they come up to you. They go, oh, can you, you know, you play for the national team. Can you tell me how do I get better at cricket and what do I do and this and that sort of thing. So, so you know, these ideals, you've got to take them seriously. So I'm glad that Alex, because it may not have enjoyed the tour as much with us off there, but it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah, I think there's a few things you mentioned there that we could probably talk about for quite a long time. We won't quite go down that rabbit hole, but I think it is worth mentioning how for people who don't know that you can't have dual citizenship in Japan, you can't have two passports. You know, at the age of 20, you have to choose which passport you want. Or if you are someone like us who has moved to the country, if you want to get a Japanese passport, you have to give up your British or your Australian passport. And it, it does make it much, much harder, particularly even now there has been a change this year and that we can start selecting um, non-Japanese passport holders for the national squad again. But if Japan wants to put a team into the Asian games or if cricket becomes an Olympic sport, we can only take passport holders because those are the rules for those competitions. I mean, different rules for ICC competitions and JOC, Japan Olympic Committee competitions, it, it, it really muddies the waters and makes it very, very challenging. But like you say, with international cricket it's the nature of international sport it's it's a step up and so it's not necessarily about playing with your mates it's about representing your country and that is what it is right yeah yeah clearly sir i mean by the time i was in under things I, I don't know in cricket in australia i've read everyone say you're playing qualified playing with your mates because you play with the team you don't play at school you don't say to your mates that hey let's go and play cricket you go down to your local club and play them you become mates obviously some you may not but for the most part you friend but me cricket especially by the time i was in under 16s because i was playing you know my local team and i was playing this cricket in under 15s but then i come under 16s it was got to the point where it's so serious little tent you're only playing this that you know that, at that level that, there's no higher cricket you don't even pick for your state team beyond that yes you know, so there's no high level of cricket so everyone takes it very seriously and you're basically there to play cricket and play the best cricket you can um well the guys I didn't know before cricket, didn't know up cricket, only saw Matt cricket. But again, it's just because we're the best cricketers in, in, the, in the district and we came together to play cricket and then we walked away uh, after But all we were there just to play the best cricket we could play. So for me, that ideal has been ingrained for a very long time. And again, with subsequent cricket as well, and we were playing great cricket in Australia, it's pretty by level. So again, it's about playing the best cricket you can play. So yeah, I had no, I had no problem with that. I was never under any illusion of like, oh, you just got to be junk it. It was never, yeah, never, never um, anything like that. No, obviously everyone took the word seriously. Yeah. Cool. All right. We're going to move on to some batches of questions that I've got 
I like to finish all these interviews with. Yeah. Um, sorry, if I could just interrupt. And I, just for the record, I'd like to know, when I say I, I would get Japanese citizenship, nothing to do with bakery. Because once I came on the scene, you know, again, as you say, once I played, and I mean, first playing cricket here, I was already in my friends, you know, so obviously for me anyway, I'm one of these players and you can playing all the time. And when you play once a month or have a your hit here and there, I need the best out of myself. So by the time I started playing cricket here, throwing laws, then my best was well behind me. And again, at 38, I felt my best was well behind me. I, I never ha had ideas of getting a fast play cricket. It was passport for living here. You know, my wife's Japanese, I've obviously been here half my life. And, and if anything happens, like Corona, you know, if I, early on in the coronavirus pandemic, let the fund country, I wouldn't be able to come back in. Permanent resident, doesn't matter, I can get back in because I'm not a citizen. So, and my wife worries me, so those sorts of things. So she's like, oh, what you? she wants me to get it, but again, can't. But anyway, so it's all my life, nothing really cricket. I'll never get it past them just to, just to play cricket, you know. I'm not that critical. I think there's a lot of us that if that rule was to change, you know, applying for citizenship or to be a dual passport holder would, would have an appeal for exactly those reasons that you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. And, and hopefully I know there's, um, was there is a diet committee looking to changing the rules into dual citizenship. There's a Japanese guy who's getting on, on a bit now. He must be into his seventies. I think who lives in Switzerland oh. who had to give up his Japanese passport for his work in Switzerland because he needed to be a Swiss passport holder and he was eligible to do that yeah. and has been campaigning against the Japanese rule for, for a long time. I read an article about that very recently. That's interesting. Yeah, so, so it's hard. I mean, and you know how bureaucracy countries, it's very slow, a lot of consensus building. They have their committees, they talk, 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 talk. And that takes a long time, very slow, granted, but once they come to a decision, it's like, right, it's not done, we'll do it tomorrow. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, once yeah. they roll it out, it's full gun blading, you know. And it'll stay forever as yeah. well. Yeah. So if it does come to pass, it'll come to pass very quickly once they decide to do it. You never know. All right, mate. Well, look, as I mentioned, each of these podcasts, I like to finish with some cricket-specific questions and some Japan-specific questions. Yeah. So I'll just run through these with you and be interested to hear what you, what you get from these. So your first memory of cricket? Uh, in general, uh, yeah, playing cricket in the backyard, backyard, probably four or five years old. Yeah, but back then, wooden bats, none of this can cricket stuff. And I used to love the bat. I still do, obviously. But, and uh, what get out, no, nah, I'm not out. And I just keep batting. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the best player you've played with or against, either in Japan or anywhere else? Uh, okay, I'll give you two. In general, uh, that by the name Duncan Spencer. I came up with him again, district under 16, under 17. I don't know if you've ever heard of Duncan, but he's born in bonding with Paris in English, but migrated in Australia very young, mate. Bowled very quickly, like wheels for a 16, 17 year old. Excellent batsman as well. And in our age group, there was a, there was a young man by the name Damien Mutt. And oh, right. He can, yeah. Yeah. I saw a bit of him and obviously he made the papers for his cricketing ability. So yeah, I saw quite of Damien as well, even though they were different teams. And I thought Duncan was better to be honest. And I thought Duncan played for Australia before Damien. Uh, and Dave, and I think Duncan did play for Australia, uh, for Western Australia before where he debuted at 19, played for Kent and he played against, uh, Viv Richard. Everyone said the fastest ball in the face at 19. Wow. It was quick. And I remember Duncan getting a quick ball, wheels, and then played first grade at 16. 
And back then that was, because now a lot of the things have changed. A lot of young kids back then, it was, that didn't matter age, you just how good you were. You, you were 50, didn't matter. You were good, you played. Now, of course, they got rid, got, got rid of the, a lot of the older guys. So making the first grade debut at 16 was a big deal. And he was mm. opening the bowl and batting eight. And he scored 100 batting an eight as a 16-year-old. That's how good he was. So, yeah, anyway, he played no way and did his back. Stress fracture and never came back. Oh, that's so, a shame, isn't it? Yeah, so that was a massive shame. But I, I'd say I'm better than Damien Martin. Um, anyway, and then Japan, a, a bloke by the name Stephen Brooke. We played a lot of first grade cricket in um, Melbourne, but Gerald did that. I reckon he was the best cricket I've ever seen. Cool. Best thing you've ever learned from a coach? Something stands out, which is what else? 13 or 14. Because I, I, I've been a keeper or it off all my career. And obviously, the higher I played, the less I kept because I lived at good. <laughs> so I had to field a lot. And when I was 13, 14, I did have a lot of, a lot of confidence feeling. So my coach at the time um, grabbed me and said, Look, you know, you got big hands, you're like buckets. The ball gets in there, it's not going to go anywhere. So you have confidence in yourself. And from that time onwards, I, I had a lot more confidence fielding and actually started to enjoy fielding because, as you know, with cricket, you don't enjoy fielding. But you should be playing because, especially if you're a batsman and you don't bowl and you don't get any buttons, <laughs> you know, half, half your time's in the field. So, um, yeah, and I think it's uh, something for coaches to know that um, some rock, just little things. Like a comment like that, I still remember, you know, 30 plus year old, years onwards, when coaches, you know, give you a little bit of a pat on the, on the bum or, or give you a talking to, or, you know, try and give you confidence. Players remember that. So I think it's really important for coaches just to try and be as positive as they can for as, as long well as they can. Yeah. Positive reinforcement. Absolutely. Um, career highlights. Oh, uh, well, it's banned 110 not out against the British Embassy in a semi-final. And it's an exceptional player back then, British Hamilton, now obviously a bunch of guys back then, they had some exceptional players. And um, yeah, so we, we batted, they batted first and scored 220 or 140 overs on our, uh, or could you one, which back then we weren't expected to chase. And yeah, about 110 got out chasing. So it was. Very satisfying. Bad, bad, bad luck. We opened and, and hit the winning runs and yeah, it was a good day. Good day. Um. Most frustrating loss that you've had? Oh, I'll tell you, give you two. One was in Australia in the under 16 district final playing against Damien Martin's team. Um, we rolled with 110, should have chased easily, and we lost. And uh, still angry 30 years later. Yeah, still angry 30 years later. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember Damien Martin building what I went about three or four, where in Lod, um, he was building close and he kept telling me to go back to my own. Mate, get back to your own. Here you go. To this day, I don't know what he, what he was talking about. <laughs> I don't know what he was. And, uh, yeah, the other one was, our each man was, uh, we lost their final against Sunnel in 2012, I want to say. Uh, there weren't two neutrals. It was just one neutral and that square leg. And we ran out Daniel Mead by, oh, I, don't, I don't want to say half pitch length, but it was quite, quite the distance. And, uh, their umpire gave him not out. And of course, Damien and me went on to score a few runs and made they, they won. They chased us, chased our total down. <laughs> I still, I'm, mate, I'm very good mate to Damien and me. And uh, I still give him, uh, Damien me, uh, Daniel me, and I still give him shit to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Funniest thing you've seen happen on the cricket field? Two things. Yeah, I'll limit Japan, but two things would have been a bloke by the name of Courtney Jones or Chuck Jones doing donkey noises in the outfield. 
For reasons I have no idea. He tipped us off. I mean, it might be fun. <laughs> and uh, so entertained. Keep himself entertained. And uh, and then there was another young fella that you know. I'm not going to mention his name to protect his identity, but uh, we were playing um, down in. Uh, it, was, it was back in the day when we used to go down to Crack, uh, I think. Yeah, and Colby Cricket down there. Uh, Rob McKenna was running them back in the day, so he said, "I'll oh, come down and do a weekend with us every year for probably four or five years." Where I went down and play cricket and obviously enjoy ourselves off the field as well. And um, so we'd had a rather large night off the field and go onto the field to play that day. And uh, some guy was purely in gully. They thought he might re- uh, not relieve himself, you know, re- re- relieve a little bit of pressure. Turns out that uh, he'd done more to relieve a little bit of pressure. He sold himself. So he had to run off the ground. Change his words. Best, best we don't name names on that one, I think. Correct. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear the seal already fill you. Patents within Wombat Circle. I bet. Um, what's your favorite format? To watch and test match cricket and play two day games. I've never, never been a one day player. I mean, obviously, when I was playing, it was, all, it was mostly two day cricket. And uh, one day stuff started getting bigger as, as I got older. But um, yeah, being brought up on test match slash two day cricket. And I've never been, problem is I've never been a flashback club, hitting the ball to the boundary for ball one. Wish I could, but no, I can't. Back in the day, you didn't count balls. You batted. How did you get like 50, minutes. Pretty Even if you got 50 off 300 balls, nobody cared. Because you got <laughs> three or 250 runs and won the game. It didn't matter. It took you 50, 75 overs to get them. You won, but it didn't matter. But now, of course, now it's all that. Well, how many balls? Oh, it's not running a ball, mate. That, that's, that's no good, you know? <laughs> yeah, the advent of the mass losing innings. The match losing yeah. 50 these days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 What, why couldn't you get 50 off 30 instead of 50 off 70? Or, or 70 off 100 balls. Why couldn't you get 100 off 50 balls? Oh, it's dark. It was that easy. I would have. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your favorite place to play? Uh, well, my home ground in Spain is Wilton. In Japan, Fuji, of course. Yeah. Fuji when the, when the mountain's out. Yeah, and then, uh, well, there's a couple other places. But there's a place called South Perth, which is next to the zoo. So you get the monkeys in the background, which is always fun. Yeah. That would be fun. I, I heard they didn't throw stuff. Yeah, no. And then Scarborough and Butterfly are good because you're right on the beach. So once you're done, you can go have a swim. No, Cotterslow's beautiful. I've been there. Best place you've ever watched cricket? Uh, Gaul, Gaul and Sharinka. Oh, great. I'd love to go there. Yeah. England played there last winter and I was just watching that. And so, yeah, that'd be a good place. Okay. Can you name one innings played by someone else that you wish you could have played yourself? Uh, no, I, no, I don't have batting envy. You don't have batting envy? No. Oh, I see you do. That's amazing. But I never think, gee, gee, I wish I'd played it. He's like, he played it. Good on him. Fair enough. Um, all right. Some Japan specific questions. What's your favorite thing about Japan? Happy places to eat and drink. Especially, you know, living in Tokyo, uh, now living down in Fuji different, but, um, especially young fellow too, living in Tokyo. You know, you can go high and lots, lots of zero in Tokyo, I guess, but it's quite hard. You know, even a, even a back in the day, even going to the cinema was, you know, it was an all-day activity basically, and you had to go out and dinner and all this sort of thing. So it's quite hard to do activities other than eat and drink, whereas eating and drinking, you know, they're plentiful and it's easy to do, and it's cheap. So, and so it's fun to meet people, uh, meet your mates, meet other people. So, yeah, for, without doubt, you know, places to eat and drink. Can you name one place that any visitors to Japan must go? Uh, there's a couple. Kyoto, the Kinkaku, and then 
Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I think. But history. Um, yeah. And your favorite food in Japan? Yep, sorry. Yeah, good man. No arguments there. Worst food in Japan? Oh, uh, well, shiokara. And mm. then there's a version of shiokara, which is absolutely disgusting, called shuto, which is so shiokara, for anyone who doesn't know, usually squid, but can be other things, that's been fermented. And then often they'll add, once it's been fermented in, in usually salt, they'll add in some other ingredients. But yeah, fermented squid or the shuto stuff is fermented bonito uh, intestine. And it's and be for smell, usually fermented in six months, and it smells or it tastes like it smells. It's actually stuff. I don't really understand this Japanese obsession with pot fermented food. I don't get it. Yeah, well, it's, awesome. it's a delicacy, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, you're a bilingual man, as you've said yourself. So, our final question favorite Japanese word or phrase and its meaning? Well, I'm sure that I have one, but I'll say probably the most fun would be button. Ah, uh, yeah. And use it in all sorts of situations and non-Japanese speakers pick it up. But my, my mum picked it up at one point many years ago. So she'll, she'll walk up and go, baka. <laughs> so she's like, you know, so yeah, that, that's a word that everyone, pick, and most people get up pretty quickly and realize what it means. So it's, people like calling it. So uh, it's a fun word for the knowledge to initiate. Jared, thanks a lot for your time today, mate. It's been fun oh, chatting. No worries. Really appreciate it. And I uh, hope to see you again soon in the not too distant future. Yeah, well, now that I've made a new friend in the fall of Simon Dart, might have looked into that, maybe come up, spend a weekend, sorry. You guys get along, did you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Simon's a good man. Yeah, it sounds like they're loving it. And, and sounds like he's, um, you know, first class player, so he knows what he's talking about and knows what he's doing, so. You mentioned goal. I was watching the England-Sri Lanka test match there in the winter. Yeah. And Simon comes over and he's... Looks over my shoulder and he's like, oh, that's a goal. I've scored a hundred there. She's <laughs> like, oh, just made me feel sick. <laughs> oh, did you know, mate? Oh, can you back? Can you? You know, can you back there? Oh, yeah. You gotta, but then you've got to ask, yeah, yeah. who are we playing for, mate? The blind score was today. No, mate, what you've got to ask is, yeah, mate, oh, how many balls? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jared. Thanks a lot for your time, mate. And I'll catch you soon. All right, cheers, mate. Have a good day. That concludes this episode of the Japan Cricket Podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening. And if you really enjoyed listening, then I would be forever grateful if you could rate and review the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts. It would just help others to find the show and have the added bonus of making me feel a little bit better about myself. Until next time, arigatou gozaimashita.